to the Friday edition of the Sports Machine with Slim. Heavy action-packed sports week in New England. And the news just keeps coming out. Bill Belichick, yesterday morning, he's out. We didn't know for sure that was going to happen. It was expected or probably going to happen, but we didn't know for sure. Then boom, yesterday morning we get the news. Belichick's out. Talk about that during the day. They do their press conferences bright and early this morning here. Whenever the news officially flashes, 8 o'clock, somewhere around that today, Gerard Mayo is now the head coach of the New England Patriots. Congratulations to Gerard Mayo, 37 years old, youngest coach in the NFL right now. And I'm all for to hire, but it is complicated. Yesterday, my brother Dave was on the show saying, hey, well, if the job had been promised to Mayo, you'd better give the job to Mayo. Just because Mike Vrabel suddenly becomes available, and he's available because he hasn't been winning in the last couple of years. I might just add that, and that's why Mike Vrabel was out there. So anybody disappointed that Mike Vrabel is not the head coach of the Patriots, like, why? <laughs> like, he did such a great job in Tennessee. You should definitely want him here. And no, he didn't do a great job. Anybody who's disappointed that my, uh, Josh McDaniels is not the head coach of the New England Patriots. Like, uh, why? He's been to two stops with Denver and the Raiders and did a terrible job both times. John Mayo, step on up, baby. I like the fact that we get a, a youthful infusion. We definitely need that. Probably getting a guy who's happy to have the job so maybe we don't have to deal with some of the miserable crustiness of the ancient, intelligent Bill Belichick. But let's just start out looking at Gerard Mayo's career here in the, in the playing days. He went to University of Tennessee from 2004 to 2007, comes out in the draft. Patriots take him with the number 10 pick overall. He plays for the Patriots from 2008 to 2015. Number 10 pick in the draft. He wins one Super Bowl with us. Goes to, I think, two Pro Bowls. He was the NFL tackles leader in the year 2010. So that was a real big year for him. After his playing career, he retires 2015, comes back. He's a Pats inside linebackers coach. I think it was like the designated title. 2019 to 2023. So he's been learning under Bill Belichick coach defense. For the last four years, and what I saw this year, the worst year for the Patriots in 24 some odd years, the defense never folded, never quit. They battled all the way through. They competed, and they they played well. We can't point the finger at the defense for the reason why our record was how it was. So we're not going to be pointing our finger at Gerard Mayo for the reason why the team's record was what it was. He held up his end of the bargain, and here you go, baby. Now you're going to be the head coach. Here's my question, though. Is you're given the youngest head coach in the NFL his first opportunity. That's a great thing. You know your offense needs a ton of work. Does Gerard Mayo have the ability to coach up an offense? We'll see. Do you keep Bill O'Brien here as the offensive coordinator? Oh, I hope not. I hope not. And here's where... Things start to get fishy for me. I talked about it being complicated. Is You bring in Mayo. How much power does this guy have? Or is it just, hey, thanks for the playing career. Thanks for being a Patriot, doing the Patriot way thing. And now, come on in. You get your chance to be the head coach. But this is about winning. The, the New England Patriots need to start winning. And we have a defense that's prepared to win. 
So you need to elevate the condition of your offense. Is this the best guy to do it? Well, okay, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. My, my guess would be no. From a coaching standpoint, we could find superior offensive-minded and experienced candidates who'd be better equipped for training, educating, building, leading a rookie quarterback because that's who's going to be starting for the New England Patriots next year with this number three pick in the draft. Don't tell me we're signing Kirk Cousins. Like, if that's the road we're going down, I'm just sorry. Like, what, what are you looking for? Are you not paying attention? What has Kirk Cousins ever won in his career that you want him to come here? Oh, it's a bridge year or two. Like, for, until what? You're going to try and draft a quarterback with, like, the 15th pick in the draft the next year or something? Or are you just going to wait for Tom Brady to come back, like the second reincarnation? We, we hopefully land a six-round pick somewhere. I know this is your time. This is the whole franchise. Like this, this year right here is going to set everything for the next five to ten years because, number one, it's going to tell us, like, did we get the right players in the draft with the number three pick? Even if you end up taking Marvin Harrison, say, and you don't get a quarterback because you just want the guarantee wide receiver. Okay, fine. But whatever direction we decide to go, if it doesn't work out, who's going to pay the price? Well, Gerard Mayo, whether it's next year or the year after. Just like the other coaching turnovers that always happen. It's going to happen again to this guy. You need to set him up for success by having somebody on the offensive side of the ball who knows what the heck they're doing. My contention would be that if it's Bill O'Brien, if you leave him here, you're telling me he doesn't want the head coaching job? You're telling me like Mayo isn't going to kind of have to be looking over his shoulder like, hey, what's happening over there with the offense? Bill O'Brien's been a head coach. He's gone to the playoffs a bunch of times with the Houston Texans. They won a couple of playoff games, I believe, under him. So... You don't think he feels like prepared to be a head coach? There's no way that guy can stay here in the offensive coordinator role. And then look at the general manager spot. You never should hire a head coach before you hire a GM. I'm just telling you that straight out right now. Your GM's supposed to build all the pieces. They're responsible ultimately for the success or failure of the organization. The general manager is in charge. Well, you can hire... Gerard Mayo first, that's fine, and the Patriots have done that. But who's going to be the general manager? Are you really going to bring in a general manager that Gerard Mayo doesn't see eye to eye with? Like, and say, hey, well, this isn't your decision. You're going to coach the team. Dude, that's getting things off on the wrong foot from the very beginning. That's not going to work. Gerard Mayo needs to have a say in who the general manager is. In fact, his voice needs to be the loudest and taken into the most consideration. Gerard Mayo should be the one picking the GM that he's going to work with. And that might sound backwards, but I'm just telling you, if he is forced to work with somebody who's not aligned with how he wants to build the team, then he's always going to be second-guessing the commitment by the organization to him as an individual. Like, am I really the leader of this team? Am I the head coach of this team? Because I've been here for the last four years as an assistant coach, and I've been watching the rest of of the Patriot way for the past, whatever, 15 years since I was drafted into the organization. And I've seen how things work when you have a coach who also operates as the general manager with Bill Belichick. This is how Gerard Mayo was trained. It's part of his mindset. And now he's going to be in a spot where well, I don't, yeah, all right, I'm just going to focus on my coaching things. I don't see, that's not the guy that you want to have coaching your team. You understand? Either this is the man, and you spotted it, 
and that's why you promised him the job because that had to be how things worked out last year. I mean, it's been leaked and, and it's been around in news reports here. Gerard Mayo had kind of been promised the gig when Belichick was out. Mayo would be in. And that makes a lot of sense because yesterday Belichick's out and today Mayo's in. So it's not like they took any time and were trying to reach out to the Brad Stevens clone or something that I had mentioned yesterday. Like, just to pull that similar analogy or situation like the Celtics did. They went outside of their network, went and grabbed a guy who's really, really smart in all aspects of basketball. And now they're yielding or reaping the results of that, except they did not last night. If I can use Brad Stevens to try and kind of transition into the Celtics take here real quick. We'll talk plenty of football today. we got callers lined up, and we'll be breaking down the NFL games for people that want our picks. My picks have been horrible the last few weeks. I continue to say this. But the Celtics last night, my picks are better than the Celtics were. Celtics end a quarter one last night, 41-23. to 23. For people that don't know, and I don't even, I didn't even write down the final score because it doesn't matter. It was like 135 to 103. Milwaukee beat the Celtics by 30 something. They could have beaten us by 100. The Celtics showed no fight. In fact, their starters didn't play in the second half. End of quarter number one, it was 41 to 23, and it was worse. The t- at the end of the first quarter, Jason Tatum step back three miss. Oh my gosh. And we're back to this. He scores 45 the day before. He's mean mugging in overtime, even though he missed the end of game, regulation game opportunity to put the, the, the victory or seal it. But he comes into overtime, comes up huge. Way to go, Tatum. The next night rolls out of bed, just gets absolutely curb stomped by their biggest rival. Milwaukee's a team you're going after. You know why? Because Milwaukee is physical. The Celtics are finesse. It's two completely different styles colliding. And what happened last night is physical just totally destroyed the finesse side of things. The Bucs scored 25 points in a row at one point. It was 73-37, to and I'm watching the game in the first half, and Joe Mazzula has Drew Holiday guarding Giannis. I've told people for weeks that is the dumbest thing you could do. You don't want Drew Holiday guarding Giannis. There's too much size mismatch. What are you trying to run Drew into the ground? He's already wearing down. His three-point percentage has been atrocious past couple of weeks. He looks not good. The sports machine with Slim sounds good, though. We're here on WKXL Radio, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, nhtalkradio.com. We're coming back to talk NFL action with some of our best callers. Celtics. That's how we left things. That's how I bring it back in. Start this segment of the Sports Machine with Slim, New Hampshire's next generation sports talk radio show. Bobby Portis last night against the Celtics. 28 points. 12 rebounds off the bench. You know why that's important? Because that dude's just all about physicality. Not talent. I mean, he's got talent, but he just wants it more than everybody else. And it showed last night, we didn't even put up any bit of a resistance. And I guess you can just say in this day and age with the NBA, okay, that's cool, let's just move on to the next game. That's what the Celtics are going to do. For the first time last night this season, I started to have serious doubts. 
Maybe somebody can uh, help to uh, alleviate me of those doubts. Is that the right word? Alleviate? Is that a real word? My brother Dave is on the line, and uh, maybe he's got some encouraging words for the Celtics. What do you think? Morning, Slim. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to last night's game, I think you know, the, the overtime game against Minnesota, I mean, you're asking those guys really emotional, especially your leader going off in overtime. I think he had 26 points between the fourth and overtime. Right? He, had a, he had a really, you know, big night, feels real good. You go on the road, you're playing a Bucks team, and it, really you're missing Al Horford, who if you've watched the playoff series against the Bucks the last few years, like Al's a really important piece. He plays physical. He's one of the guys on the Celtics that does play a physical brand of basketball. And so when you're missing him on the second night of that back-to-back, I'm not worried about the Celtics at all. I thought the game was much bigger for Milwaukee than it was for the Celtics. I'm glad, I'm glad that they made me feel like it's going to be a competition this year. Well, the Bucks were all jacked up. I think they'd lost three out of four or something like that, and they had just lost to Utah a few nights earlier. So they had been kind of lying in wait for the Celtics game. I will say for the last night, uh, last, first time last night too, Dave, though, I kind of wished Marcus Smart was back on the team. <laughs> You're on your own. I I, I have no want to have Marcus Smart back. <laughs> He's physical. At least he would he would not be like just complete re- resist like no resistance. Just walk on through. Go dunk in my face. It's cool. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why we didn't lose by thirty something when Marcus Smart was here, and that's because he always tried, and we get the other guys fired up. But that wasn't there last night. There was nobody to try, especially not Luke Cornett. That guy can't step on the court anymore. But, Dave, uh, let's talk NFL action. What do you think about the Patriots hiring of Gerard Mayo? So, clearly, he wasn't just promised. It was actually, there was a clause in his contract. So, that allowed them to bypass the Rooney rule and just name him as the coach. So, he was he was uh, knowing that he was going to get the job. It feels like this is a, a move that was made well ahead of what the expected time frame was because he is the mm-hmm. youngest head coach in the NFL, right? So as of today, you have the youngest head coach in the NFL. Patriots uh, must have been know. scared that he was going to go elsewhere, Dave. Of course. I mean, of course that's what it is. But I also think that philosophically he fit what they want. And so that's that's where your GM, you hit it in the first segment. I think your GM becomes ultra important. You need somebody that has some kind of offensive capability, you know, game plan, you know, or just a plan. To draft a quarterback, draft a wide receiver, sign a you know Justin Fields if he's going to get traded. I mean, you mentioned Kirk Cousins. I'm not a Kirk Cousins fan, but philosophy wise, like what are you going to do with? Because I I can't imagine they're leaving that decision to Gerard Mayo. Exactly. That's why so many questions go on, and you just you just want him to do things the right way. I think fine hiring Gerard Mayo in and of itself. I'm down with it. That's cool. Well, let's let's go. I want a young guy in there. I want a former player in there. I've seen the impact that has on other teams. Former players come in, they command respect. But for the long-term game, this like needs to be a successful long-term hire. The only way that's going to happen is if we totally rebuild the offense somehow. Absolutely. I, I love Gerard Mayo. I love when they drafted him. I thought he was great for the Patriots his first five or six years. And, and listen, I hope he has a ton of success. I'm not rooting against them. I'm a huge fan of the Patriots. I'm going to be rooting for them, but I, I really, I worry about the the immediate result. What's going to happen here in the next two to three years with him? I mean, I think he's got a ton of pressure on him to come in and find a way to be somewhat successful year one, and he better move the franchise forward in year two. Well, they better give him somebody that he can work with in the GM spot, whoever it is. I'd imagine that'll get filled over the next two to three weeks. What do you think about this weekend's upcoming NFL slate of games, Dave? Weather's going to play a part in a couple of these games. Yeah, no doubt about it. Kansas City, Miami, negative nine degrees. I mean, you have a team from Florida 
going to play in a game that's going to be negative nine. That can't be. That can't feel good. A team that was in like position to win the number one seed in the AFC just a few short weeks ago. Miami could have easily, if they had beaten Baltimore at home, they would have been the number one seed in the NFL. They wouldn't even have to be playing this week. They'd be resting at home waiting for another team to come into the heat of Miami the following week. But no, no, now they're packing up. They're going to a frigid Kansas City home field advantage. And this is on the heels of just like what seems to be kind of a collapse because they got blown out by Baltimore. They got blown out by Buffalo. How's Miami going to go in there and keep it close? I, I would imagine Kansas City rallies the troop defending champions. They're, they're, they're going to find a way to win this game, I'd imagine, Dave. I, I like Kansas City, but I think it's a real low-scoring game. I think it's competitive throughout. I mean, Miami played close. They were up 14-7 to against Buffalo in the, at the start of the fourth yeah. quarter. I mean, Buffalo owned the fourth quarter, but it's hard to be a team in, in a position where you control your destiny two weeks in a row, you're not going to have to leave home, you lose both of those games, you can't be looking forward to going to Kansas City, who's the defending champs, and then you see the weather. Like, I, I, I'm against Miami, and I just think it's a very low-scoring game. Pittsburgh and Buffalo, I mean, we skipped over Cleveland-Houston, which actually Cleveland is probably my pick of the weekend. I don't know what your thoughts are on that game. Maybe we ought to back it up because this is tomorrow. we got two games Saturday, Cleveland-Houston, and then at night it's Miami-KC. What's your thoughts on the Cleveland-Houston game? C.J. Stroud is so good. C.J. Stroud is good, but listen, I was against Houston last week, and if you watch them play Indianapolis, I still think that Indy was the better team. The first play of the game for, for Houston, they throw a 75-yard touchdown pass. Indy was still in you know, position to win at the end of the game, so... Houston's a young team. They caught a nice break. D'Amico Ryan's done a really nice job yes, yes. getting them ready. But this is a different monster. This Cleveland defense gets after the quarterback. Miles Garrett is a he is he is maybe the scariest man He's in angry. the NFL. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, for me, like this is I'm still against Houston. I'm just not. I'm not a believer. I want like, and they're gonna have to prove me wrong, and maybe they will. But I'm on Cleveland in that game. Okay. Yeah, you're not alone. I, I think a lot of people are looking around and going, hey, these teams just played a few weeks ago, and Cleveland was noticeably better. And they just have a style where they're going to throw the ball. Like, look at Joe Flacco's stats over the last five weeks. He's throwing like 350 yards a game. They're a pass-first offense, and I think Houston struggles against the pass. So it's just like a tailor-made spot for Cleveland, and then they're going to get the lineup and probably and hopefully go and play Baltimore the following week. Pittsburgh-Buffalo, Dave. I like Buffalo to come out of the AFC, but this game does worry me just because it's going to be snowy, it's going to be like 10 degrees or something, and Buffalo makes mistakes. Yeah, two reasons to like Pittsburgh in this game. First, uh, Buffalo's game plan the last six weeks since they've gone on this run, or maybe five weeks, I think they were 6-6 six and six now, they're 11-6. and six. They're running the ball, shortening the game, and playing good defense. Mm-hmm. They're not, they, haven't, they haven't blown anybody out outside of Dallas, and Dallas on the road against competitive teams has just shown that they're not very competitive. So Buffalo's trying to win a different way these last five weeks. They've tried to take the ball out of Josh Allen's hands a little bit more and put the, put the game in the hands of the defense. So I think this is a, a, another game that's going to be low scoring. I think Buffalo is going to be more than happy to play field position, run the football. I don't think Pittsburgh can score. And I think if you're Buffalo, you know that. So you just don't want to create that turnover. You want to take your time. You want, you're going to get your points throughout the course of the game. But I do think that the, the second reason for me why I think this is a close game is Pittsburgh is playing pretty good. They've won a couple of games in a row. They're feeling good about themselves. 
if you look at the schedules, like they beat Baltimore last week, and really it wasn't a close game. I mean, now, granted, Baltimore's playing their backups, but Pittsburgh's playing pretty good ball. So you have a team playing good ball. You have another team in Buffalo who's coming off a huge game, thinks they're getting a breather. They're going home, feeling like maybe it's almost a bye. They're being told it's a bye. I think it's a trap game for Buffalo. I think they win a low-scoring game as well, close, low-scoring game. I don't know if it's a good thing that we're thinking the same thing. I mean, I'm actually starting to feel better. Maybe Buffalo is going to blow them out now. But I will tell you, Pittsburgh wants to play a low-scoring, let-the-clock-run type of game. Buffalo is playing that sort of way. Pittsburgh wants to force a team to kind of make mistakes because their offense is challenged, so they want to just hopefully get a turnover, take advantage. Josh Allen has thrown a pick in 12 out of 13 games, and we know James Cook, the running back for Buffalo, has had a serious fumbling problem this week. I hope Buffalo can keep it together early, man. Get through this game and move on. That's exactly what we're going to do. Green Bay and Dallas, Dave. Dallas should smoke job this team. So I, 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 it's never good when we agree on these things. <laughs> but I, if you watch the Cowboys all year long, they've, everyone knows they've won whatever it is, 17 straight home games, haven't lost there in two years. But more than anything, this Dallas team, they lose close games. They lost a close game to Miami three weeks ago. If, they, if this is a close game, Green Bay's probably going to win. So what's more likely, a Green Bay win in the close game or a Dallas blowout? I go to Dallas where they've won 17 in the row at home. There you go, Dave. we got a couple other games. If you want to hang on the line, you can. we got to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. WKXL Radio, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, nhtalkradio.com. we got more NFL playoffs coming next. This weekend, so wide open this year. Of course, people think it's San Francisco and Baltimore are the two best. But, of course, one of them's not going to make it. It just never works out that, oh, the two teams everybody expects to make it are going to be there. Just record-wise, the number one seeds in the East and in the West here, AFC and NFC, they both... I mean, they played each other, they played everybody else, and they just looked far and away the two best teams. But somebody's going to stub their toe. When and where? It's not going to be this weekend because both San Fran and Baltimore get the week off to watch the rest of the action. My pick is going to be Cleveland to beat Houston, and then somehow the schedule will work out for them to go and play at Baltimore the next week and go and pull the upset there. Speaking of a road team beating the upset, we're making the upset. The Rams go to Detroit. What a fun game this is, I think, for a lot of people. Sunday night, it's going to be Rams and Detroit. And Matt Stafford, who now all of a sudden has to kind of be looked at as a winner. For the beginning part of his career, most people definitely did not think of Matthew Stafford as a winner. But now he's won a Super Bowl. He's with the coach that's won a Super Bowl. You look at this matchup with Detroit with Dan Campbell and Sean McVay, from a coaching standpoint, the Rams... Everybody would say, get the check mark. They get the better coach. People are talking about the Rams winning, and I'm, I'm there for it. I say the Rams going into Detroit, and Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl champion from the past, he's going to find a way to get, get a W. 
But I'm not alone. I'm looking on the Action Network here for the betting percentages, and 72% of people are on the Rams. This is a warning siren. (laughs) Be careful on this game. Detroit has been money at home. Offense has looked great, just different. And they've got something in that locker room special where they do feel like, especially when they're the underdog, I feel like they, uh, they've responded at times during the season. So that's a game I'm starting to back off from. I, re- I originally liked the Rams, Puka Nakua. The whole offensive side of the ball for the Rams, they just look like they're going to go into Detroit and they're going to move the ball and score. But when everybody's thinking the same thing, that makes me nervous. Where I'm opposite everybody and I'm happy to see it is the Monday night game. Philadelphia plays Tampa Bay. And I do not see what people are thinking. Philadelphia is favored by three points is where the line is as of this second. It's three. Why is Philly favored? They've lost five out of six. They're going on the road at Tampa Bay. And Baker Mayfield is playing good. He's got like that competitive thing. He's got it. If you remember back to his college days, he was a guy who went, I think it was Ohio State, like grabbed their his flag and then went to midfield and stuck the Oklahoma Sooner flag in the middle of the field of the other team. He's got that thing. So in a big game here, he hasn't been in that many of them in the NFL. Has Baker Mayfield, I mean, what has he done for as far as like playoff games started? And I'm kind of freezing because I didn't expect to think about this, but has he started a playoff game? Has he been anywhere near this level of like competitiveness for, for a game and buildup? I don't think so. I, I don't hold that against him. I think this guy has it. And I think Philadelphia is exhausted. They're showing us. They're, like, they're just dragging themselves to the finish line. That coach, Sirianni, this is legit one of the worst coaching jobs I've ever seen a coach in the NFL or any sport put together. The Philadelphia Eagles roster is stacked and incredible. Incredible. The coach has run that team into a wall time and time again. Game one in the season, they're doing the tush-push multiple times a game, and they're just playing that physicality card. When you watch this game on Monday night, Watch the size of the Philadelphia offensive line. They are huge. There's a reason they made it to the finals last year. The team, it's still the same team. Their coach. And what, now all of a sudden, they're going to like, you know, circle the wagons and Philly's going to go on the road and like, you know, turn into Super Bowl's potential winning team again? I don't see it. I see them going on the road and running into a team that's physical too. Tampa Bay has a physical mindset. Their defensive line is stacked too. So Philly's strength is running the ball. Well, they're going to be running into a team that specializes in stopping the run. And they're on the road. So do what you want. But I'm on Tampa Bay and I'm glad to hear that people are picking Philly. That's the overview of the NFL games. Dave... My brother Dave helped me pick through the first four, and I finish up the last two. My picks, do you want to take them? I don't know, but I'm going to review them here real quick for you. Cleveland beats Houston. Yes, I I do like that one. That one I'm very, very strong on. Cleveland beats Houston. Kansas City beats Miami. Buffalo in a squeaker 
takes out Pittsburgh. Dallas easily beats Green Bay. The Rams, I'll give a slight edge over Detroit. And Tampa, definitely. So my two best plays of the week. I'm going to circle those right here. Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Cleveland is the definite for me. So I'll be able to answer for that on Monday when we come back if my picks are atrociously wrong as they have been in the past. I will own up to it, but Cleveland's going to win. I gave you the Michigan Wolverines on Monday for the national title earlier this week. I'm going to be on a hot streak. I'm starting it up. I'm going to go for two in a row. Cleveland takes out Houston, and they do it by more than more than three. Last night, did guess what? I fell asleep watching the Bruins, trying to do work for the, this show. I never would stay up to watch the Bruins when they're starting at 10 o'clock at night in Las Vegas. If I was in Las Vegas, I would stay up. But I, I fell asleep. I wake up. There's like 10 minutes left in the third. Okay, I'm going to watch the game. Bruins are down one nothing, So they're battling, and it's Swayman's first goal as, like, as the man. Okay, Elmar got hurt. Now Swayman comes out. He's going to be our goalie for uh, an extended period of time or however long it is. I guess it's day-to-day for Elmar, but that could be for a week or two weeks. Swayman needs this opportunity to prove himself. So he's in net last night. And obviously, playing well, you're at Las Vegas, and it's only one nothing. The whole team for the Bruins is playing pretty well. And I'm making my notes in my notebook. And um, as I look to, to make a note, the Bruins score. This is what I hate about hockey. It's like I'm, I'm dedicating my time now to watch the hockey games, and I am getting invested with this Bruins team. I like the Bruins. They lost their third game in a row going into overtime. I will say that if we cut to the end of the story. The Bruins ended up losing in, in overtime 2-1. to one. But when I went to make my notes, you look away from the TV for five seconds, and boom, the puck is in the back of the net. Trent Frederick held the puck, got the puck, uh, kept in the zone. Very nice play. Eventually he gets the pass over to Matt Grizzlick. Boom. He scores for the first time in 20 games to tie it up at, at one with like 10 minutes left, eight, eight minutes left in the game, somewhere right around there. I see the camera pan over to Bruce Cassidy, former coach of the Bruins, and he's all mad, which was a great thing for me. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't love that guy. Good. I don't hate him either, but if I'm glad to see him so upset. Post-game, Bruce Cassidy says, I love to beat the Bruins. <laughs> quote, unquote, I love to beat the Bruins. Now, he said, oh, yeah, I enjoyed my time there and this and that, but anytime you play your former team, you want to beat them. So the, pay, the, the Bruins players probably wanted to beat Las Vegas last night too, right? You want to beat your former coach. Maybe that's why Jeremy Swayman looks so disgusted skating off the ice in overtime after the Bruins gave up just a horrific two-on-one two situation. And I've told people, I don't know much about hockey, but I'm going to reveal something from a coaching standpoint that no coach is ever going to hear. Okay, nobody's ever going to know the sports machine with Slim is telling you this. And if you want to talk more about it, you can. 603-224-1450 is the number. 603-224-1450. But I'm going to give you some coaching, hockey players. When you have a two-on-one, a decided two-on-one, two guys are coming down the ice, one of them's got the puck, and they're trying to score. And you have one defenseman and one goalie. Here's what I've seen forever, is the defenseman tries to split the difference. Like, you're kind of stopping the guy with the puck, but you're also playing the pass. This is an asinine strategy. This strategy does not work. You need to take one of the players out of the play. I don't care if it's the guy with the puck 
or the guy without the puck. You need to allow your goalie to just have to worry about one threat. The way this play unfolded last night, if you watch it, it's trying to split the difference. It's It puts the goalie out of position. It's impossible to be in good position because you're guarding two guys at once. And I see it time and time again in hockey. I don't get it. I don't play hockey. I've never coached hockey. But I'm just telling you right now, two on ones, the defenseman needs to say, hey, I'm either going after the guy with the puck or I'm going to take the guy without the puck and make sure he can't get the rebound. He's out of it. It's simple. But the coaches haven't been taught that way, so they don't teach players to do that. The Sports Machine with Slim here on WKXL Radio. We teach you how to do things the right way. Stay tuned here, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, nhtalkradio.com. We're coming back with some more NFL action. That's what we're going to talk about. Friday, my favorite day of the week. So much potential for the weekend. This is the Sports Machine with Slim, New Hampshire Talk Radio, WKXL. I would love to be able to give people just guaranteed winners for this weekend's upcoming games. The playoffs. Can't pick the NBA. What the heck? You To give out winners in the NBA is uh, just, uh, you're playing with fire, and you don't know who's going to play. You don't know what the refs are going to be doing with the whistle. You don't know who's going to be up for a game or not. I suppose last night, if you had told me Milwaukee was going to crush the Celtics, well, then I'd say, okay, you know what you're talking about in basketball. But I didn't know it was going to happen. You'd think the Celtics come back, win a big game against Minnesota at home, and now the next night, Tatum's playing. Brown's playing. They're going on the road to play at Milwaukee. Should be a big game Like from a competitor standpoint. Hey, I want to be Milwaukee. I, I hate those guys. They're going to try and you know out-physical, out-muscle us. You know that going in, and then the Celtics just kind of roll out of bed and show up. The physicality mismatch last night was so obvious. Well, I got news for you. This is why the Miami Heat have like given the Celtics so much trouble in the playoffs. Because their guys play physical. And because they guard the three. They don't leave and help off the three. Which is exactly how you should defend the Celtics. The Celtics, if you watch, they shoot so many three-pointers. Just don't help off the threes. Make their guys have to penetrate. And don't let them kick out to open shooters. That's how you defend against the Celtics. And Miami knows it. And last night as I watched Milwaukee, I said, wait a minute, they might be learning this too. So my brother Dave's not worried about the Celtics. And I know I've said time and time again here, the Boston Celtics are going to win the NBA title this year. It just feels good to say. feels good to believe. That's a bigger thing. When you say something, you got to believe what's true or else it's just not going to sound the same. So today I'm... I'm a little bit upset with that Celtics effort last night. Bruins, not so much. I'm not upset with the Bruins effort. Bruins are battling, baby. Every single game, they just, they're down. They just keep coming back in end-of-game situations. The compete level on this team is great. But then you got Pasternak. Man, in the in the overtime, sorry, the shootout the other night, he came through with this, like, just 
pathetic, weak little shot that was easily turned aside. And then, last night, Pasternak just completely misses a check and lets a two-on-one situation develop for Las Vegas, and the game's over. No time. Boom. So Bruins got to find a way to break through. Is that by making a trade? Is it getting rid of Allmark? I, I hope not. I'd like to see those two guys every other game in the playoffs. It's something different. I heard Mike Milbury this morning on EEI saying, you know, I'm a big believer in the one goalie system. Ride one guy, let him get hot in the playoffs, and ride him all the way through. I don't know. How's that worked out for the Bruins in, in past years? <laughs> Maybe you just go every other game. If you're going to do it during the regular season, that's how you got to do it in the playoffs. We'll see how long Almark is out for. If you're rolling with Swayman over the next two, three weeks, every other, you know, every four games out of five or something like that, and he starts to produce, well, maybe you just hand the keys of the castle to that guy. Time will, will tell. The Bruins, you have time on your side. You still have the most points in the Eastern Conference. So the Bruins are positioned as, almost as well as the Celtics are. Not for nothing, but for success, both teams have an equal chance. And it's going to come down to the fans. How hungry are we as a fan base in New England to see championship-level teams actually winning championships? Because the Celtics have been at that level, but they've allowed themselves to bow out. Partly because of the fans, partly because the Celtics players themselves just aren't tough enough. Or haven't been tough enough. I'm hoping Drew Holiday... And God love him, Kristaps Porzingis. Am I really looking for Porzingis to provide toughness? I don't, I don't know that that's the answer. That's probably not a great situation. But O'Shea Brissett, that Cato guy, get him in the game. Last night, Luke Cornett's on the court. If you watch, he's just too slow. He's just too slow. I'm not saying he can't be on the team, but he can't play. The Cato guy needs to be playing. He's athletic. He can challenge and then regroup. He can pull down a rebound. Cornett just looked, he looked like five feet tall last night. As I'm watching him, this guy is a seven-foot giant. He was, it was almost like he wasn't there. Useless. And to play him with Hauser and Pritchett at the same time against Milwaukee, a team built on size and speed and strength, makes no sense from a coaching standpoint. And that lineup was on the court in the second quarter before Milwaukee opened up a 80 million point lead. So Missoula last night gets one in the loss column. I'm, I'm, I'm checking for him. He's been showing me a lot of good things over the past few weeks, but that last night, I don't like it. The fact that he benched, at least he was smart enough to say, okay, starters, you're on the bench. We're not going to play anymore. You guys weren't playing anyway. So just sit and watch. If I have to sit and watch it, you do too. Sit and watch it with me. So on that side, I guess I'm okay with you there, Missoula, but you can't. You got to watch your lineups, buddy. You need to pay attention to what you're putting out on the court and uh, making sure you can take advantage of the other team's mismatches. The NFL this weekend, I can't wait. Football fans, especially you gamblers out there, you can just sit in front of your TV all weekend long. Could watch the games. You know they're going to be. There's going to be craziness. In some of them, you know some coach is going to do something horrifically bad, cost his team a game. You know, there's going to be some miraculous play. The Kansas City-Miami game, I really hope Jalen Waddle is playing. I don't even know what the, the latest word is on him, but Miami's offense, when Jalen Waddle is in there, it's just when you have two guys 
that fast. It's impossible to cover them both. The safeties just don't know where to go. (laughs) So that opens up the running game. Fachain that much more. There's so much speed on that Miami Dolphins team. But when you take one aspect of it away, that's that's a big change. So let's see what's going to happen this weekend. I think he's still borderline. We haven't had any setbacks with Raheem Mostert or Jalen Waddell, so I am optimistic on both. That's what Mike McDaniel, head coach of Miami, says. Optimistic that both guys are going to play. Raheem Mostert and Jalen Waddle. Most importantly, Jalen Waddle. So that's that's why the line's only four and a half. I think you look at the Kansas City Chiefs and just the way they played last week, it's like, okay, they needed the win. They wanted to finish up the year going into the playoffs with a solid feeling because they've been crumbling a little bit over the last couple of months. They pull it together and now instantly you go, okay, wait a second. Kansas City, they're ready. They're going to play. Now, you just expect a Miami team that's been wilting. Recent memory yet. We just talked about it with my brother Dave. Baltimore, they get smashed. Buffalo, they're up 14-7 to at home, but then fourth quarter winning time, they get smashed. But the bigger thing is Buffalo was making so many mistakes during that game. Buffalo should have been in the lead the whole way through. Buffalo was obviously the better team. So that's implanted in everybody's mind. Miami's not good. And now they got to go on the road and they're going to play in like zero degree weather at Kansas City? Huh. I'm starting to talk myself into Miami. Because you bring back Jalen Waddle, who is a winner. Alabama? Man. National title winner. Played through an injury. Tyreek Hill's been coming through all year, although the last couple weeks I think he's dropped some really uh, you know, catchable balls. But now this is the only game that matters. You're going on the road to the playoffs, and Kansas City has not been the same this year. I'm going to switch that pick. How about that? I just talked to – this is how I do it. Back and forth. This is how I used to bet back in the day. For people that don't know, I'm not betting on sports this year. 2024, I have, that's my New Year's resolution. I'm not going to bet on sports. But I can talk as if I would. (laughs) And this is how I would do it. This is how I did it for the entirety of my 20s, 30s, some of my 40s. Not much of my 40s here. 20s and 30s, I'll bounce back and forth. I'll be thinking one team all the way and then just switch to the other side. Whichever side I picked, I would lose. I got a history of losing at gambling. And I know a lot of people out there are gambling. And if you're losing all the time, I got news for you. Hey, just, just stop. Take time off. Make a commitment. Do it for a day then do it for a week, then do it for a month. You'll see how your mood changes when you don't think about gambling all the time. But for people that are gambling, I want you to win. I want you to win. So if you can take my opinions and bet against them, or if, if you can get on board with whatever I'm thinking and make yourself a score, go do it. The Cleveland Browns, I'm, I'm fully on board. I like C.J. Stroud a ton. Love him. I think that's a guy's going to win a Super Bowl eventually. He's a, he's a true winner. I wish he was the quarterback of the New England Patriots. I think he was, I don't even remember what pick he was, but if, he, if we had last year's draft this year, he would be available for the Patriots to pick number three. Or maybe two. Whatever. Patriots need a quarterback, everybody. Welcome to Gerard Mayo. I hope you get... Immediate and continued success as the coach of the New England Patriots, but bigger than that, 
I hope they give you the tools that you need to be successful. The right GM is going to be the most important thing to partner up with Gerard Mayo. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening to The Sports Machine with Slim on WKXL Radio. Every weekday, we're here from 10 to 11 a.m., 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester. This is NHTalkRadio.com. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football.